to NURFM and coming up next, Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard joining me, Jane Klein, to talk about things financial. We're going to take a look at how you would go about investing for an 18-year-old. We have a market snapshot with Henry Jennings. We'll take a look at currencies and commodities. And um, speaking about investments, we might see what councils do too. Uh, Stephen Pritchard, first of all, um, councils invest money. They invest funds. And it seems that Musselbrook Council has a slightly different approach to their funds management than perhaps... uh, some of the other councils in the Hunter region. Yeah, it's interesting that um, in, the t- in today's Herald, Musselbrook Council has uh, set aside $40 million in a futures fund, as they've determined, which which has produced 800000 in dividends, which they've been used to um, keep the rates down. Um, you know, as it came out last week, Newcastle City Council has $270 million on um, investments, um, and they've got numerous property holdings around the city. Perhaps it's time that all this was, was put into a separate fund and properly accounted for so that the ratepayers can actually see what returns are being derived on their investments and and these property investments in particular that they own around the city because I, I suspect a lot of those are getting way below market rates. And, you know, if it's set up in a futures fund and separately accounted for, like doing at Musselbrook, um, it's a lot more transparent and the ratepayers can actually see what's happening. Um, and I, I think that's a good idea. And Brisbane City Council has one as well that apparently turned returned $26 million to ratepayers last year. So by, by separating these investment activities out, um, it would become a lot more transparent and, and ratepayers would actually know what's happening to their investment monies. And certainly this century there's been a number of glitches, if you like, in financial affairs globally and uh, it is becoming so much more important. Well, well Newcastle City Council income. lost a lot of money on, on, on... Well, we've never actually heard what happened in the end, but there was a lot of money invested in... Um, um, uh, collateralised debt obligations that that became um, um, very low in value at the time of the GFC, and uh, it's never quite been announced where that was resolved. So it'd be interesting for the council to come out and tell us how much they actually lost on that, if they lost any money. Uh, maybe they didn't. Mm. Maybe they didn't. But I, th- I think you know we need some clarity. We've got two hundred and seventy million that we know about. There's all these property assets. What what sort of return are the ratepayers getting out of these? I mean, the returns on these assets need to be maximised um, to, to keep the rates down. Mm, I wonder how other councils are handling these affairs in the Hunter well, as well. well Musselbrook seems to Musselbrook seems to be the leading light. Mm. Okay, speaking about uh, currencies and commodities and things, how have commodities gone? Over oh, the well, there's a lot of red ink here, isn't there, Jane? I just showed you that. Um, um, the gold price was up uh, overnight to uh, well, up overnight to uh, $1,573 an ounce. Now, these are Australian um, um, prices as well, so there's also a mix of the underlying gold price and even the exchange rate as well. So it was up 2.6% for the week. Um, silver was down slightly to $19.81. Um, uh, copper was up which was interesting because it's recently at a six-year low, so it's it's up 5%. I wouldn't make too much of that, uh, to $7,149 a tonne. Um, nickel, which is a major component in stainless steel, uh, was down 4% to $3,145 a tonne. And tin, which Jane stores in the backyard, was, was down to, by 4% to $20,125 a tonne. Um, and the currency, well, there's a sea of red ink here. The Australian dollar was down um, 
overnight to 71 cents US, which are, which is 3% on the week, but I think it's down again this morning. Um, uh, the Great British Pound was down to 46 pence. Um, the New Zealand dollar, we were down against that to $1.01 New Zealand. And Euro cents, as I'm now told, it was we were down to 62 cents. And the Canadian dollar, we were down to 94 cents. And it was interesting, there was a recent article this week that Canada seems to be having the same type of issues we have with the runoff in the commodities because Canada is a very rich resource. It's very similar to Australia, Canada, actually, even the banking system. Similar. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, all... The Australian dollar continues to fall. As, as we've mentioned before, there are some econom- economists and commentators saying that the price is now around to 65 cents. So if you're planning to go overseas, it might be a bad idea to hedge your bets a bit and, and look at buying some currency. Mm. Yeah, it's um, stockpile. Because if you're staying in Australia um, and want to buy um, things that are imported, like like cars, um, you know, as the a dollar falls, the price of imported goods will become more expensive. So, if you're thinking of buying a car, it, it mightn't be a bad idea to think about it now. to think about it now before the full effect flows through. Um, and of course, the equities market's been in for a bumpy ride again. It was down three percent on the week to five thousand one hundred seventy-eight. Um, the U.S. Dow was down six percent on the week to sixteen thousand two hundred eighty-five, which is two weeks that's been down six percent. Um, it's actually the market in Australia has actually been temp, down ten percent since the the uh, end of June. Um, the Hang Seng, which is the um, Hong Kong market, which to a certain extent is linked to uh, Chinese market, um, and it's down 10% or 9% in the week. So our 10% since June is not that bad when you're talking about 9% in a week. And the Nikkei was also, which is a Japanese market, was also down 9% for the week. Mm-hmm. And the West Texas Intermediate, which once again oil. is oil, was down 2.6% for the week to $54 a barrel. Now that's Australia. Um the U.S. price was one stage down below forty-five dollars this week. So, um, yeah, so the oil companies are, are all getting depressed, and um, mm. yes, yeah, so if you, uh, I noticed Beach Petroleum was down to um, Beach Energy rather was down to sixty cents. Mm. Um, it wasn't so long ago that um, Kerry Stakes acquired a great slab of that company at a dollar, um, and unfortunately, it hasn't kind of all flowed through to the petrol bowser. Um, the unleaded uh, unleaded petrol price in Newcastle was a dollar thirty this morning, which is down four percent a week. Um, the Central Coast was a dollar thirty five, and Sydney a dollar twenty four. So there's six cents a litre difference between Sydney and Newcastle, um, which which we never get explained why. But anyhow, These figures come from the NRMA website, don't oh, they? Oh yeah, they come from the NRMA website. Yes. Dominic, our office quickly looks them up and puts yeah. them on a spreadsheet Excellent, for Dominic. me. Excellent, Dominic. Excellent, yep. Dominic. So if anyone's got complaints about the the figures, they need to ring NRMA, <laughs> and not. Me, <laughs> but there is a variation, of course. Oh, the yeah. Well, I mean, it's all. It's, I imagine there's some survey, and there's always going to be someone who's charging more, and someone who's going to be charging less. Um, but you know, it's mm. close enough. Mm. I, I think the trends are probably more important than the yes the price. Um, and the diesel price in Newcastle was down one half percent on the week to a dollar thirty one, and in Sydney was down one percent to a dollar twenty six. So in Sydney, that's interesting. And Newcastle, the diesel price is actually more expensive than on Lennon. Who and you are, FM? It's 26 past 12. This is Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and & Partners. And time for our market snapshot with Henry Jennings, Stephen Pritchard. Hi, Henry. Hi, Stephen. How are you this morning? This Hi. afternoon. This afternoon, yeah, yeah. Well, it's good for spring. It's good it is. for spring. Yeah. And I was, it's starting to... 
I'm told there's a gale warning here this afternoon. Mm. So. Oh, really? It is quite windy down uh, here on the northern beaches, I have to say. Uh, well, it's quite still here, but it, I think the temperature's dropping. And yeah. um, first, uh, so you're at the northern beaches near the Blackmores factory, keeping an eye on that for us? I am keeping mm. an eye on the Blackmores factory for you. And they, um, they do extraordinarily well, aren't they? Oh, it's amazing. It's, amazing. Um, you know, they, they cruised. Everyone talked about the $100 level, mm. um, and we saw CSL... Um, get there, but Blackmores have actually cruised sort of straight, straight through it. They're currently about one hundred and ten dollars at the moment. So mm, they were one hundred and fifteen at one stage. It's amazing. Yeah, they're down, they're down a bit today. Yeah, they're down five yeah. percent. So, so, we, so we've been actively looking to see if we can identify the next Blackmores. But anyhow, uh, I know the next Blackmores. Oh, do you? Yes, I do. Oh, Are you okay. sharing it? Um, it's a, it's a very small one. It's a spot called MedLab Clinical. It's very small, very speculative, but they actually sold. Uh, one of their businesses to Blackmores, the biocuticals business, um, some two and a bit years ago, and they've had a non-compete clause since then, and they've resurrected themselves and uh, recently floated. Um, they're slightly below the issue price, but if they get it right, um, they could certainly um, they could certainly be in the mix. Yes, well. That's interesting, but just just uh, remember, listeners, this is only general advice here, and uh, this is very general, general advice. Advice. General, 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 very and Henry's tips are general, and you need to to, to go and research them properly. Yes. Um, but um, one of your favourite stocks um, again, is apparently it's going to spend six hundred million dollars going after Jay, David Jones's market share. Yes. So, so they might uh, actually have someone in the shops to take your money. Is that what they're suggesting? Um, <laughs> well, judging by the share price today, the market's pretty sceptical about this. This new plan from uh, from Meyer, um, the new CEO Richard Umbers is raising uh, a whole heap of money, 221 million, as you say, um, to fund this five-year kind of turnaround strategy. They've they've identified the mythical shopper that they're going after, which is someone called Eva, that seems to spend a huge amount of money on uh, on fashion items a year. It's beyond me why you would spend five thousand dollars a year on fashion, but there you go. Um, that's just me. But um, they're certainly they're using smart data, I guess, is, is one of their prongs of their strategy to, to drive sales in a positive way, which has eluded them so far. They're going to close some stores. They're going to take a stake in Topshop and Top Man, which are two uh, UK brands from donkeys years ago, so they're hardly cutting edge. Um, and they're going to revamp some stores. And they might even have some people there that will, will take your money, as you rightly say, Stephen, because they've... They failed in the past to be able to do that. So um, the stock today actually is down uh, nearly 20% uh, to the issue price, which is 94 cents for this uh, for this rights issue. So the market is very, very sceptical at the moment. Mm. I think the, link, the lesson of Meyer is, is since the flight, um, when these stocks are being sold like Meyer was, you need to be careful who the seller is. I think, uh, I think if anyone considering uh, going into an IPO should look very carefully at prospectus. I have uh, a bit of a rule of thumb that the more glossy pictures there are of uh, supermodels, um, big bits of infrastructure and, and Tonka toys and those sorts of things start to uh, start to be somewhat wary because uh, um, those glossy pictures are usually trying to hide something a little, uh, little more worrying. Mm-hmm. And um, MFG, which is Fortescue's predicted to become a marginal producer, because Vale is bringing this new supermine online. Yeah. I mean, I guess at the moment a lot of these, uh, a lot of these iron ore, um, a lot of all these iron ore miners are marginal producers. But certainly, um, yeah, Fortescue has been doing it very tough. Um, they've been doing the best they can, 
um, in terms of uh, surviving in this very low uh, iron ore price environment. It has, has perked up a little bit, so um, they're, they're not quite as desperate as they were, but certainly um, you know, China looks like it's going to bankroll this, um, this new um, uh, Vale expansion with bigger ships, and um, this, this could prove um, somewhat... Somewhat troublesome, I guess, for Fortescue, which are under this pressure at the moment. Well, but it's talked that, that that if BHP and Rio and now Vale can bring their production costs under thirty dollars a ton, yep, and Fortescue's at forty, it, its future's kind of limited. Well, it, it is. I, I guess you could you could say that it's limited on that basis. But you know, the, the, the real key to iron ore is is the um, at the moment supply is is the big. Um, driver of price, and it looks like BHP, Rio, and, Fort, and uh, Vale continue to flood the, the world mm. with with supply. Um, the actual demand side isn't too bad, and we may even see that pick up, I guess, from from China as they uh, as they continue to build infrastructure and they look at building their so-called uh, Silk Road um, around the globe as well. So you never know; we might see demand pick up slightly, and we might see production. Um, you know, if, if iron ore went to 40 bucks, even though BHP is uh, making it or digging it up for 30 bucks, you know, it's still not particularly great return on equity given uh, given the amount of billions they poured into the business. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, and BHP was a yield stock there a while ago. Well, uh, BHP is still a yield still stock. Still a yield uh, stock. It's um, you know that they've 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 done pretty much. You know, the Andrew McKenzie came out at the the latest numbers and said that basically he he wouldn't cut the dividend under any kind of circumstances. Which, you know, with BHP around current prices, they're, they're yielding around seven and a half percent, which which is a big yield That's for a, a big resource company. And also, bear in mind that BHP's dividend is uh, is is paid in U.S. Yeah, dollars and then converted into Australian dollars. So if you kept the dividend where it is now, um, and then added in a sixty cent. Um, U.S. Aussie rate um, that brings BHP yielding about 11 percent for Australian shareholders. Mm, fully that's, frank, it's amazing for a company like BHP. It is, it is. And the future fund we were talking about future <laughs> funds earlier before you got on the radio. Actually, uh, future yeah. funds preparing for the next crisis by cutting its exposure to equities and increasing exposure to cash and alternative investments. Yeah, I love I love the um, the way it's called the future fund. Yeah. I mean it's it's it, it kind of has ramifications that it's it's paying you know something to do with our future, like some sort of sovereign wealth fund, much like Norway's. Is. Yeah. Um, the reality is this is a future liability for civil servants pension fund, that's right. which is what it's what it should really be called, and then it wouldn't be quite so glamorous. Um, this fund has produced not a, not a bad result over the years. I guess if they'd kept the Telstra shares they were given at the beginning of the uh, inception of the future fund, they would have received a much better result, given that they sold most of their Telstra below $3. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, they have uh, increased their fund weighting to cash to around um, 40%, I believe, which is quite high for, uh, for a fund of this sort. And they are predicting, I guess, or they are banking on more global unrest, which will throw up opportunities mm-hmm. to put that cash to work. Yeah. But they were very lucky that they hadn't actually put much cash to work at all during the GFC, and as a result have performed quite well because they had a lot of cash to pick mm-hmm. up some bargains. You can have good luck sometimes, Henry. You can, you can. And it wasn't it wasn't quite clear that that from the article I read that 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 actually reduced their exposure by selling the assets, or it was just this all this money that was coming in hadn't actually been invested yet. Well, I'd imagine. I mean, there's no new money going in apart from, I guess, dividends that they're receiving. Yeah. So, um, if they don't reinvest that dividends, 
um, then the uh, the cash yeah, pile the cash will increase, will yeah. pull, you know, increase. Yeah. Thursday Finance on 2NURFM and Stephen Pritchard. We're in the middle of our market snapshot with Henry Jennings from Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Henry. Stephen. I see the National Bank's decided not to fund the Carmichael project, which... I don't think anybody's going to fund this Carmichael uh, coal mine yeah. that Adani yeah. is trying to build in the middle of nowhere. Um, it, it's a massive project and it's been touted as... Uh, huge job creator but everybody every bank is stepping away from it it's just not a good look um the uh, the, the barrier reef uh, implications and all the other um, implications of this are really not good and national australia bank has, has said that it's not interested in funding yet and more importantly i guess is that it's happy to take a leading role in developing renewable energy which um I think the Indians should probably see the writing on the wall with this one. It's not, it's not going to happen, especially with, uh, with coal prices where they are. If we had some global um, realignment in terms of coal pricing and it doubled or tripled, um, then, of course, then it would be back on the table and everyone would be, uh, would be very bullish again. But I think at these kind of prices, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. It's a, it's a long way from the coast too, isn't it? There's, there's a it's lot of infrastructure from to be, anywhere. To it be is built. miles from anywhere. They've got to build huge amounts of infrastructure just to get it to the coast and then once they've got it to the coast they're going to have to drag channels and, and do all sorts of things and build uh, new facilities to get it out and that's going to disrupt the barrier reef um it, it's it's probably an ecological um nightmare um and it has had permission before and then denied and all sorts of um, things have, have happened with it but i think the sad economic fact is that at current coal prices it is uneconomic and anybody in their right mind would be uh, mothballing it and, and keeping it very much on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Well, it's obviously got nothing to do with Newcastle City Council's decision not to uh, deposit money with any of the banks that lend on coal projects. <laughs> no, I don't no, think it has. No, I don't think so. But they'll probably claim credit for it anyhow. Um, and then something interesting, Harvey Norman's bought a dairy farm. Oh, this, this is an absolute ripper. Yeah. Um, Harvey Norman, which um, has not been averse in the past to, um, to to go outside of its normal kind of retailing of uh, of cameras and stereos and computers and things, um, they, they have had some interest in some some uh, tourism and, and some some mining activities. But uh, Jerry Harvey has uh, stumped up thirty four million dollars of Harvey Norman money to buy a half share in a, a dairy project down in the Golden Valley, I believe. Um, What's what's really interesting, I guess, apart from the fact that this is kind of a step outside their comfort zone, um, is that uh, some at one stage uh, it's it's been reported that uh, Mr. Harvey was actually the owner of, uh, of the said business himself. So no, um, it's, not, it's not it's not a good look in terms of corporate governance. That has been um, denied, and the board has said that they've had a good look at it, and it makes sense. Um, but certainly for a, um, an electronics retailer to get into the dairy business does seem a big leap, and I'm not sure um, the skill set is completely mm. complementary. Yes, I can understand how it might make sense for Bigar or even Woolworths or Coles yeah. for that matter, unless, of course, they're going to put dairy cafes in the Harvey Norman stores. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly... Well, I mean, Jerry Harvey's a big uh, horseman, as everyone mm. is aware, so it's not like he doesn't know... Um, about the country and, uh, and and that side of the business, but it's it's kind of unusual that Harvey Norman themselves, the company, as opposed to Jerry Harvey, the man, hmm. has invested thirty four million in um, what could be um, his own farm. 
Mm, anyhow, time will tell. Time will tell. And Santos, Santos, uh, oh, Santos, uh, oh, share Santos. price. What's it down now? It was four seventy yesterday. Yeah, well, I've got to say, I, I was recommending Santos as a, as a as a buy mm, um, mm, to uh, to our readers in the markets today newsletter, and it looks like I'm completely wrong at the moment. Um, I was looking at around four ninety five bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, they've come down a huge way. Obviously, the oil prices had a major impact. Um, there's a massive, massive short position in the stock as well. Mm-hmm. About 100 million shares have been sold short. So there's a there's a big um, drive to get the shares down. There's a big drive also for the company to raise money. Now, they can do that in a number of ways. Um, the way the market favours, of course, is, uh, is a nice, deeply discounted rights issue, yep. um, which they'll be able to cover all their shorts at um, and then push the stock back up again, having made a fortune. Uh, the way Santos is uh, looking at it is to actually sell... Um, some of their assets, the problem they've got that to reduce their debt, which is quite a big burden around, I think it's around $8.8 billion, um, the assets they would have to sell would be the assets that are actually going to produce the growth and the income mm-hmm. in years to come. So they're kind of stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea at the moment. What? The, mm-hmm. the uh, CEO has fallen on his, um, mm-hmm. his oil rig and has decided to, uh, to pull the plug and, um, and leave. They have a, a, a new... Um, a new chairman mm-hmm. um, who um, is looking to sort of reinvigorate things, but um, we'll, we'll see. But certainly the jury's out at the moment, and at four forty-four fifty, you'd have to think that they offer some good long-term value, but there are some short-term issues they have to address. I mean, from a shareholder's point of view, I think the rights, the renounceable rights issue is the right way to go. Well, as long as you can afford to uh, to take up your uh, your rights and not be diluted, but yes. Yeah, but if it's um, renowned I, I would, and, and a market to sell the rights off, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably the right way to go as well, mm. but, um, you know, the company is reluctant to do it because it is dilutive and it is doing it at a, at a rock-bottom knockdown price, which they are kind well, of... Well, they should have done it at $10. They should have done... It's, it's, it's easy with hindsight. They should yeah. have done a lot of things. A lot of these oil companies, a lot of these commodity companies, full-stop resource companies, failed to hedge any of their exposure, which I find mm. extraordinary given that uh, they focus such a lot on the costs and, uh, and the money that has to be poured into mm. developing projects, yet they are completely at the whim of the market when it comes to what they get in income, which seems to be absolutely ridiculous to me. Yeah. Um, you know, why BHPs mm. and the... Basic risk management. It's, it's basic risk management. If, if you're going to sell widgets, you don't want to have mm. the market tell you how much you can sell your widgets for. Um, you, you want to be able to lock in a price so that you, it's, that's what futures markets are there for. And one interesting thing, just to wrap up, is Rupert Murdoch's taking a 40% cut at uh, a sale, pay cut at News Corp and so are a number of the other executives. Yeah, he's doing it tough. Yeah, he, old, yes. old Rupert. Uh, I, I suspect that he's probably got enough to see him through. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess more interesting is the fact that Rebecca Brooks is going to be back in charge in in the UK, and um, she famously was a was mm-hmm. a scalp, a red-headed scalp mm-hmm. at that. Um, with the um, the hacking scandal, but it looks like she's back, and um, I'm sure Rupert doesn't need the money, so he's, he's hardly going to suffer. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't so much interesting him. I mean, because he's, we all know he's got plenty of money, uh, but but some of the other executives have taken pay cuts as well. So uh, mm. I wonder if this might be people trying to get their salaries back to normal levels. <laughs> I don't think no, any executives think so. do that for long. No. Um, it's it's good PR at times, but you know the um, yep. the news business is not doing too badly at all. They've had some some good wins, so mm. um, there's no business reason to uh, to do it. Mm. I guess it, it's more 
I suspect, uh, a PR exercise and, and maybe uh, to align themselves more with um, shareholders' expectations. Okay. Um, well, we'll hear from Henry's words of wisdom um, and from he's a senior financial commentator at Marcus Today uh, next week. This is Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard & Partners. And Stephen Pritchard, we are talking about investing for an 18-year-old. And uh, there are some different things to think about, are there, that we need to take into consideration? Well, this is, this is a question from one of our staff, actually. Dominic, who's a bit more than 18, but he had some clients in this week so um, we thought to talk about that um, yeah so it's not unusual for an 18 year old now to, to um, particularly if they've got a part-time job to accumulate a few thousand dollars um, at that age and, and so there's a couple of options I mean the first thing you know usually you accumulate some money in a savings account like my son's done um, and then they can look at um, a high interest um, there's a number of high interest uh, online accounts from um, uh, ING Rabo um, I think um, that thing there's got what's it called Union U Bank U Bank. Um, there's a lot of those high interest accounts that can be opened online and linked to a uh, a normal savings account. Um, and then of course there's there's term deposits, um, which will give you a higher rate as well. Um, and then after that, um, you know, you, the 18 year olds can then get a bit more uh, adventurous and sophisticated. Um, they can buy some direct shares. Um, um, some a listed investment company or an ETF. Um, it's not it's not a bad idea that um, to to buy a couple of direct shares, um, particularly in companies of products that they've dealt with. Um, I mean, I remember the first shares I bought was um, in Cadbury Schweppes when they were listed here uh, <laughs> because I like chocolate bars. <laughs> chocolate lemonade. <laughs> surprisingly, I did quite well out of that. I, I think I paid 88 cents and they got taken over a number of years ago before are I was funny. Are there shares available in Lego? <laughs> Um, uh-huh, now there's a question. Not in Australia, <laughs> but they're probably those. It's very difficult to deal overseas. But, yeah. but you know, it's always good to start with something that, that you're familiar with. You know, if a client shops at Woolworths or a client shops at Coles, buy some shares in those, uh, the bank that they bank with. Buy a small parcel in, in a couple of direct shares and put the rest into a listed investment company or a or an exchange traded fund um, that that so you'll learn the benefits of diversification. So ha- have a few direct shares, and so then get, then it's actually a good idea, I suppose, for them to follow that. Yeah, you know, to on follow the market that. And see uh, yeah, how it goes. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, one of the big three licks. Um, AFIC or Argo, for example, will... will, will Lick would be a listed, listed investment, investment company, company shorthand, yeah, yeah shorthand. Uh, uh, well, the returns of that will basically follow the market or do a bit better. An ETF will replicate the market and there's That's all sorts exchange of traded, traded fund. fund. Yes, uh, they'll replicate the market. Um, so, so those are the two options to add some diversification in it. So even a small portfolio can add diversification and some direct shares of companies that you know or like or have an interest in. So yes. there's lots of things. I so mean, you're, you're guiding the choice of your 18-year-old? Hey, I mean, there's lots of things you, you can't go to. The worst thing you can actually do, the worst thing you can actually do is buy some speculative mining shares. And the worst thing that can possibly happen if you do that is you actually make a reasonable return because then the person will think it's all very easy and, and yes, anyone can do um, um, some luck 
Um, but, you know, that's not the way to long-term. Like someone who plays the poker machines, the worst thing that can actually ever happen to them is they go in, put some money in the first time they ever play and win a jackpot and then they think... That happens every time. They think that happens every time. So the worst thing you can do is invest the kids' money in some speculative mining shoes and the second worst thing is that they make us a fair bit of money out of them. So take a fairly measured approach. Take, buy some boring stocks that have got, you know, that, that are going to be there tomorrow pretty well you know there's plenty of those around that have been there tomorrow and and something that that child can kind of relate with and then look at um you know rounding the thing out with some listed investment companies or, or exchange traded fund um we, we kind of recommend um exchange traded funds the um the equal weight fund as distinct from the market cap fund the, the market the market cap exchange traded fund um the issue with that is um the top 10 stocks represent 50% of that, whereas the, the, the equal weight one, there's about 200 stocks in there and they're all equally weighted. So, so over time, you're not subject to um, such mm. a skew of distribution. Now, and what about books they can books, read? Books, yes. Well, of course, the other thing um, is um, a return on investment from gaining knowledge is always higher, usually the most highest thing you can do. So there's a couple of books I, I recommend. Um, Intelligent, the Intelligent Investor, which was written in the 1930s, um, which is basically one of the first books on investment principles. That, that It's not that big. Um, it's not that difficult to read. And um, it's got a number of examples in there that, that are still relevant today. Um, that, that's around. It's regularly reprinted. Um, so it's been continually reprinted since the 1930s, so I suppose that just shows how popular it is. And it's one of the books that um, um, Warren Buffett recommends people read, and it's a good book. Um, the other one that, that's quite an interesting book is called The Richest Man in Babylon, which was written in probably the 1880s, I think. Um, and it's, it's a very interesting book. It's got a, got a number of principles of how to become wealthy, and and, and it relates to real life examples from from the time of Babylon. And one of the things is to save ten uh, percent of your income each time. So um, invest in a couple of books um, if you want to give them something to for Christmas or birthday. Um, that that's a good thing to do, and um, hopefully they will learn some. Ways to skills, yeah, skills in, the in the market. Excellent. And that's Thursday Finance for today. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. Thank you, Jane. And we'll be back doing it again next Thursday after the midday news on 2NURFM.